Well, today I'm going to invite you to go ahead and turn in your copy of the Scripture, whether that's uh, by a physical Bible or you need to grow in the glow of God's Word on your tablet or phone. Uh, however you find yourself in, uh, in God's Word, we encourage that. We are going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians, and we're going to be in chapter 4. If you are using one of our pew Bibles, it's going to be page 1024 or 1025. So we're going to be at, we're continuing our series from last week and the last several weeks, but I'm going to invite you to turn there. And by the way, if you're here today and you yourself do not have a copy of God's Word, you can absolutely download the Bible app, and that's, that's completely a free app out there that we encourage and we use, and even our notes are found on it. But also, we want to make sure that, that you can have a Bible accessible even when the data package is not running. So um, you can have, take one of these Bibles. If you don't have one, consider it's our gift to you, because we want to make sure it's it's importantly heard. That is not right. That is not good grammar. But we wanted to make sure the importance of having God's Word in your hands and ultimately in your heart is, is something that's seen from us. So if you don't have one, consider it a gift. Take it. It's not just for decoration. It is for use and, and your supply. So go ahead and turn there. And I'm just going to give you kind of a, uh, a, uh, a refresher from last week because we didn't finish the sermon. And, and I know that last week uh, not everything was recorded on the video. Something went bad with the Facebook Live. So uh, this will give an opportunity for those that are, that are tuning in to us live today to look at where we're at about treasuring Christ. I was just talking to the kids about this idea of, of what do you treasure and how do you treasure it. If what you treasure is in your pocketbook, you're probably going to every now and then say, all right, I, I know how many of these have uh, double digits on them. I know how many of these have triple digits. You're going to keep a count on that. You're going to keep a close look on that. Whether it's in your wallet or in the checkbook, you're going to look. Um, or in these little pieces of plastic. If that is where your treasure at. If your treasure is your your family. And, and, and granted, family is very, very precious the highest goal that you can keep up with each week is knowing what's going on in your family's lives. Those conversations over the dinner table, those conversations over the phone, those conversations over Facebook. You want to keep up with a picture. You want to see what is happening. You want to keep a close look and make sure you're actively involved because you treasure them. If your biggest treasure is your occupation, then you're going to enjoy, or at least somewhat enjoy being there when your time clock is meant to click in and be there until your time clock kicks in kicks out because because you want to be value you want to show value to your job your vocation you want to make sure that what you've learned and, and, and engaged with your skills over years is being properly applied because you value what you do if your highest treasure is your next vacation, well, you may go and clock in just so you know there's going to be two more weeks before vacay. It's coming up. I can't wait to go to this place. I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to get away from it all. I mean, get away for us all. You know, I, I just can't wait to do that. If that's your highest treasure, if your highest treasure is what political party holds office, you're going to be very attuned to maybe one side or maybe both sides of the political spectrum and know who stands for what and, and who values what. You're going to be involved in the process. You might even politic for someone. You might campaign for someone. You might be in really a part of that if that's a part of what you value. Why is that? Because what we value, we put our heart into. 
What we value, we connect with. What we value, we will work for. What we value, we'll try to represent well. We'll try to put our image right next to it to show that it holds something enduring. And not that any of those things that I just mentioned were bad. No, none of them are evil in their own sense. Valuing money, money is is not a bad thing. It's an inanimate object. Now, if you value it above all else, then the love of money becomes the root of all evil. It can lead towards greed and lead to saying, well, the, the amount of money that I have in my pocket, um, the end is what matters. So the means to getting it don't matter as much. So we have to be careful with that. If we value our family, our families are good things to value, but if we begin holding dear our greatest hope is in a person here on earth that person can fall short that person can have slip-ups that person can break down or that or god could even say that person is here today but they're gone tomorrow the pains of life and death are very evident and if they're our greatest treasure whenever that person's gone what is our life built upon if our greatest treasure is our vocation what happens when there's a dynamic shift in the economy or there's no longer a place of value for what you do and that pink slip comes or what happens on the day of retirement when you've poured all your life into it and that's the, the height of your life and all of a sudden they say, you know what, it's time for you to call it, call it a day. What happens to your life when it's built upon that? What happens when you can't afford that vacation that you've been dreaming of and it's your highest treasure is the getaway. What happens whenever your political party doesn't come through? Or that person you once believed in has a major downfall? You see how these things are not wrong in themselves, but you can see how they're incomplete. How they can leave us lacking, leave us wanting. And what the Bible tells us is that our greatest treasure is something that cannot be corrupted, It cannot decay. It cannot rust. It cannot go away. It cannot be taken from us. It cannot be stolen. It cannot be destroyed. And that is the treasure that we have in Christ Jesus and that we are to pour our hearts into this. Paul, sharing with the church at Corinth, this is the second of four letters that we have. Uh, we, We have two letters. There were four letters that we know that were written, but two of them that have been preserved for us in the Scripture, as Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these letters to the church. And we've called this series Awaken because this church had gotten off kilter, had valued other things, and gotten distracted from what really mattered. And Paul, in his love and his grace and that God had given him to demonstrate to the church, he's trying to shift the view back to the Lord, to have them to wake up from the slumber of all these other distractions and to have their eyes fixed on the treasure that they have in Jesus Christ. He spends time in 1 Corinthians really working through that struggle. And in the 2 Corinthians, he's saying, all right, now that you've worked through that, this is what the implications are of how you are to live it out. This is what it means to live in ministry knowing what's of value. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read from your copy of God's Word, my copy of God's Word, it'll be on the screen behind us. We're honoring the Lord in the reading of this. I'm going to read the entire chapter of chapter 4. And this is what it says. It says, Therefore, since we have this ministry because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, 
We have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, we have this treasure in clay jars, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body, so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For who we live, for who we live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit. So that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So that we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Lord Jesus, today as we've opened your word, remind us that it's you who's gifted this to us by your grace. It is you who teaches us by the Holy Spirit. It is you who leads us in the direction that honors Christ. And I pray that today you would have all the glory. Help me be but your servant today and help me clearly declare who you are so that we may all follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you may be seated. Now, last week we talked about this question after we read this. What does the Scripture present for our consideration on treasuring Christ? I ask you to consider some things that you may treasure a minute ago. Now, when it comes to the things of Jesus, the things of God, the things of faith, what does the Bible tell us about that, about their value, about their merit, their worth? And and what does that mean for us? What is it asking us to consider and just as a refresher from last week, we talked about the first thing that, that, that Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, giving this to us so that we may be equipped, is for us to consider the reason that we have this treasure. And the very reason we have this treasure, the reason we have life, the reason we have any ability to serve the Lord is because of His mercy. It's not for stamps of approval. It's not for ratings. It's not for good attaboys or anything like that. It's because of His mercy. And I asked you last week to think about that what do you build your life on? What is it? What is fuels your whole motive for ministry? And if it's built on anything other than God's mercy, you will give up. 
Paul says it's because of God's mercy we don't give up. Thus, anything else that is less than acknowledging who He is and His demonstration of mercy to us is going to leave us with an empty tank sputtering just to try to cross the finish line. Most of the time we will give up. But if our life is fueled and motivated by Him who never forsakes us, who never gives up on us, who demonstrates great mercy then we understand the calling towards great ministry. We understand how we're propelled with great momentum. That that it's not of ourselves, it's because of what He does in us. And that is the reason we must consider Jesus a treasure. Is that He has first valued us. He has first loved us. He has first given mercy to us. And that leads us towards the future. That leads us towards living a life that is faithful to Him. We also consider why if Jesus is such a great treasure, why do people reject Him? Paul said there were people that would, that would try to live out secret and shameful things. There were people that would try to deceit others. And they would cause damage to the gospel. And Paul says, far be it from me. He, he says, I have renounced that. When you renounce something, you're just basically saying, that is worthless. That is a pile of junk. That is something I do not want in my life. It is absolutely corrupting. We talked about how even today some people preach a gospel, not the gospel, but a counterfeit gospel that is all about their personal gain, their personal deceit. And I'm not here to slam other preachers or anything, but I would caution you, be careful what and who you are listening to. And if they are preaching fully the gospel of Jesus Christ that promotes Him being the glory alone or something that is for their selfish gain. Be very careful because the church can be easily corrupted and deceived by that, but also those people live a life that when the outsiders look in, their life doesn't make sense when they hold it up to Jesus. That, that, that teaching about Jesus being so great and then them, how they live and then how they see the world and, and the reaction, they see how this is, this is not compatible. And it causes a conflict and a damage to the gospel. But also, Paul says, there's those that are rejecting the gospel because, like it or not, the gospel has been veiled from their eyes. They've been blindfolded by a very real enemy. I told you last week, I don't, I don't believe we should go around fearful of the devil like there's a devil behind every bush who's out to get you. Like, ha! You know, that kind of thing. Gotcha! You know, that's not how we should do it. We should not give him more credit than he's due. Because God is much greater than Him. There is no equal to God. There's no equal opposite to God. But there are people that are blinded by the God of this age. The little G. The the demonic one. Who wants to prevent them from seeing the truth. Because anything that God loves, He wants to steal and kill and destroy. That's what the thief does. The Bible says that there are those that reject the treasure of Jesus because one, they see the conflict of those who are not compatible with the gospel and they say, I don't want to see how those go along, so how do I trust this? And then he says also there are those that are blinded. And then we, the, he says, but the result, the remedy is this, that there would be a revelation that comes not by proclaiming ourselves. Paul, as, as immense as he is, a writer of 13 letters of the New Testament as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. I mean, that guy's got a lot of Holy Spirit cred. I mean, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm asking, who's someone that, man, God used mightily? And he says, but my goal is not to proclaim myself. In fact, my whole goal is to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. 
that that needs to be known. That it is Jesus who is the Messiah is Lord. Not Jesus the Messiah is your buddy, although that's good news, and He is a friend that is closer than any brother. Not that Jesus as Messiah as my get-out-of-jail-free card, although He does deliver us over from the dominion of death and hell. But Jesus Christ as Lord. The one who has absolute, total authority. That He is the one who came, who was fully God and fully man. That He was the one that was anointed and the one who was promised from the beginning. But He is also the one that will hold all authority, eternal, from this day throughout all days. We must proclaim Him. And I talked about the dangers of stopping short of the Gospel. That sometimes we like to share our story about what God has done for us and, 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 and or done through us, and that's great to do that. But if we stop short of the gospel and we miss the message about God's mercy, about God's grace, about the one who, though he was holy, he saw the offense of all sin, and he supplied himself to be the sufficient one in our place, to go to the cross for us, and that he has given us a gift, not something that we earn, but a gift of his grace that we may respond to, so that we may have life instead of death. So we may have heaven instead of hell. So we may have blessing instead of cursing. The death, hell, curse. That was the default setting. And He's changed the default setting by His grace. He, he offered that gift to us. Not of our own works. Not of our own things that we can boast. He did that. And when we place our trust in Him, our eternity is shifted, is changed. But not only is our eternity changed, it makes an impact. It changes who we are now. For Paul, he says that we don't proclaim ourselves. In fact, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. And this is where we place ourselves in the role of a slave. In the role of a servant that seeks nothing more than to be pleasing towards the one who he calls master. Who he calls Lord. Because he recognizes the grace that was demonstrated to him. The word more appropriate would be that of a bond servant. I mean, we don't use that very often, that word. I, I mean, most of you say, you know, you don't go around and say, um, where's my bond servant, right? You're, used, you're familiar with that vocabulary every day? None of us are, right? It's just not something we use. But a bond servant was someone that, according to the Old Testament, whenever they lived under the leadership, whenever they had been indebted to a, a person that had paid their debt and they were living in servitude for him, whenever their years of paying that debt were off, they were given the freedom to go. But they would say, I would rather, because I know the grace and love and mercy that's been given to me by under this household, I would rather consider myself a bondservant. Not living out of debt. Not living out of servitude, but willing service. And they would place themselves under the title of a bondservant because they recognized who their master was and the grace that was given to them through him. This was a willing choice. This is what Paul says we are. He says, if anything, our role is as, as ministers, and let me be clear to let you know this, the Bible doesn't say that only pastors are ministers. Only evangelists are ministers. Only deacons are ministers. It says that God has given us that, but He's given it to us so that the church, the church, all the church, the church is the people, not the building, the church is the people, may be equipped for ministry. That you may be equipped for service. That we are meant to be these people that as we lay down our lives, we declare openly that Jesus is 
the Savior. The Bible tells us that we should consider the revelation so important when it comes to making Jesus known. But we should also look, and this is where we are getting to this week, to this reward. This incredible reward that comes not by our own merit, not by our own worth, not by our own works, but by His grace. And it is a treasure. Paul doesn't try to mix words here. He uses the word, the Greek word for treasure. And it's an extraordinary treasure. But I love how he captures this. We have this incredible treasure, but it's kept in these clay jars. That's what he compared our life. That we're not some ornate treasure box that someone would go, ooh, ah, what's in there? That we're just ordinary clay pots, fragile. Stuff that people kept household items in. People that stuff just, if it broke, they'd just go get another one. That was what it is. And that as fragile and as frail and as of little worth as we are, there's such an immense treasure that's made of much more value kept inside of us. And it's by His grace that we have these eternal, extraordinary riches. That this kindness and His power has given to us. And it's been placed inside these very ordinary, very frail, very temporary, very poor in light of who He is. You may have a nice bank account, but it is never the bank account of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who has the cattle on a thousand hills. It is never that equitable. Um, and, and powerless vessels. That God by His grace would say, I'm pouring myself into you. I am giving you this reward. We must understand that this is from God. It's not given from any other man. I would say this. People don't get saved just because they heard the right preacher at the right time. Hear me out on this. People get saved because the Holy Spirit through weak, frail vessels as good or talented as speaking as we are, or as poor as talented as speaking as we are, was on display through their life and through their lips. One of the greatest preachers who I admire, who I love reading his stuff, Charles Spurgeon, 19th century pastor in London, England. And he was saved during a snowstorm where he just happened to walk into a Methodist church and the actual pastor wasn't even there He said it was a stuttering deacon who was trying to share the gospel. And the only words that stuck out to him was the Holy Spirit impressing on his heart. The words that were echoed by the lips of this this person who was just trying to serve and give a manner of the gospel. Look unto Jesus and you will be saved. That's it. And the Holy Spirit used that sentence, that sentence alone, to change this man's life to where he was responsible for one of the greatest movements of evangelism in the city of London through the 19th century. Hear me out. It does not come from us. It comes from Him. And the good news about that is is if it comes from Him who puts extraordinary riches in frail clay jars, it doesn't matter how good looking or how eloquent the pastor is. Sometimes people will walk away. But it also means that God can use anyone. Anyone in the right place at the right time. Anyone. 
who has a compassionate heart to say, I am not willing to proclaim myself and lift myself up, but, but to be take the role of a servant and lift up Jesus Christ as Lord. He can use anyone and does to share His message. That is good news for us all. That it, we don't have to say, well, I don't look very nice, or, or uh, I, I'm not very eloquent, or I don't have the right paper on the wall, or I don't have the right books on the shelf. The early church thrived because the church in itself and all of its ministry was moving forward and sharing the gospel. People from all walks of life. And they were sharing about this reward. And it is a reward that is not here today and gone tomorrow. No, my friends. The Bible tells us not only to consider the reason we have it and the rejection for those who don't, but that we need to keep praying that God would use His revelation to reach them to to shine light in the darkness. But we need to see that what we carry in us is an extraordinary reward so valuable, it's worth living for. It's worth saying, hey, this may be an ordinary clay pot, but let me show you the treasure. Let me show you the priceless one. Let me show you the eternal one. And let me show you the one who is not only a reward that is not based on my merit, but based on His. But I want to show you one that never fails. Paul would go on to say about this treasure, it says, because it's come from God and not from us, that we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. Now, I don't know what it, I know where we're going to get to when we get to chapter 11 of this, of this letter. But I mean, when Paul says afflicted in every way, I, I, I can't really imagine the gravity of what that looks like on my life. I wouldn't wish that on my life. I wouldn't wish that on anyone's life. I mean, sometimes there's times I'm complicated, but that's just when my coffee's not really kicked in very well. But Paul says that he was afflicted in every way. But here's the thing. Even though all these afflictions came from him, if you want to look at those and go ahead, you can go to chapter 11 of Second Corinthians and see a list of those if you want to take that note down later to give you some extra credit reading. Uh, not extra credit for me, just because yeah, it's, it's growth with you and the Lord. But he says that they were afflicted in every way. But even in all these afflictions, as, as tragic and as scary as they are, Paul says we were not crushed. We're fragile clay jars. It didn't take much to break a clay jar. But somehow, God being the treasure inside, has, even though we were afflicted, we weren't crushed. He says not only we were afflicted but not crushed, but sometimes we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. There's some days where we realize we don't have it figured out. We're wondering what you are doing, God. But it does not leave us in despair. It does not leave us with hope as in, oh, woe is me, all is lost, the day is ruined, nothing good could ever come of my life. Paul says there's days where we're confused, we're perplexed. But we're not in despair because the one thing we do know is Jesus Christ as Lord. One thing we do know is that His mercy is what propels us. The one thing we do know is that He is the treasure beyond all other valuables. And we do not lose hope. He says that we are persecuted, but we're not abandoned. Even in our deepest persecution, Paul had rocks thrown at him. Rocks! Paul was put in prison in like chains, like actual like those old picture prisons. Paul was beaten. Not like beaten at a game. I mean like 
smack down, not fake wrestling kind of stuff, beat down. Paul was stripped naked and dragged through cities. And we're upset when someone says, happy holidays, that's persecution. I'm just going to call that for what it is. That's bull honky. We may not like it. It may not seem right to us. It may go against our values and traditions, but it's not persecution. But he says, even in all that, even though all may have left me, there was one who never did. There's one that never, ever abandoned me. The one who is my treasure and who treasures me. He says that we were struck down, but we were not destroyed. And in our life, we will be always carrying around this message, whether we like it or not. We're carrying around as Christians the death of Jesus with us, that He died for us. That's what He willingly did for us to be His particular, peculiar, extraordinary treasure. His people, His chosen generation, His royal priesthood. He, he died for us. And we carry that within us so that we I may also say that yes, He died, but He rose again, victorious. And we carry that so that it may be displayed beyond us. That we must always be mindful. When we get to this point of, I don't know, maybe I should give up. Maybe I should just stop it. Did He stop short? Did He stop short of the cross? No, because He didn't stop short of the mercy towards you and me. And so we carry that mindfulness so that, wow, Jesus, You were willing to do everything to die for me. God, help me do anything to live for You. Help that be displayed beyond me so that the resiliency of this treasure will not be diminished that we won't keep it and like say, well, it's not really nothing worth looking at. I'm going to just keep it in my jar. You don't want to see that. No, let it out! Let people see Him! Let them know the extraordinary, eternal riches and kindness and grace displayed to you and through you. And this is where Paul says that we have this resiliency, but we also have this repurposing. In verses 12-18, through 18, Paul had his life repurposed. That he was walking now out of death into life, not by his own works, but by what Jesus had called him to. That was a new repurposing for him. That he was no longer a dead man, no longer a sentenced man, no longer an unpardoned man, but a free man, a living man, an awakened man. But not only to have life, but to move from faith and belief to service. That I have believed these things that were spoken to me and now I speak the things that I believe. That it took someone making the Gospel known to me so I could believe. Yes, Jesus visited Paul on that road to Damascus and blinded him with the glory of His grace. That happened. But it was a man named Ananias who willingly called upon the Lord and and was seeking the Lord in prayer. And the Lord sent him to that house to show the message of mercy, to teach it to Paul. And when Paul believed, the scales fell from his eyes and he was no longer the same man. And he began living a life of faith, but a life that went from faith to service. That he didn't let it stop short. He realized what he had been saved from, but now he was getting a glimpse of what he was saved. 
I heard a preacher put it this way. Sometimes we like to quote Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, For it is by grace that you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is not by works so that no one should boast. But we forget to move on to the rest of the sentences. The paragraph doesn't end there. It says that for God created us for good works in Him. He already, that He already knew. He already had planned for us. That we're saved from something, but we're saved for something. And there's this repurposing, this retooling of our life. And Paul says, because of that, I've moved from a life that would be selfish, but one to gratefulness. From ingratitude to gratefulness. He says, for we know the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with, Jesus, with Christ. That's good news. That just as Jesus raised, we're going to be raised. And he's going to present us with you. We're going to be among a, a multitude of those who have responded to Jesus. That's also good news. That gives me some thankfulness to, to get that hallelujah out every now and then. But he says, every, every, indeed, everything is for your benefit. So that as grace extends through more and more people, as it's made known through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. That as grace is made known, there are more people that are saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I didn't deserve this day. I didn't deserve to wake up. There was nothing that said, yeah, he's, he's done enough good deeds that he deserves another tick of the day. But Jesus shows love to us and grace to us and that that grace that extends from us is meant to raise up a generation that are in gratitude and thankfulness more and more to the increase of the glory of God. It begins being undeniable that what God does is glorious. And what it does is it moves our mindset. It repurposes us from focusing so much on the minute, on the, on the temporary. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to focus on how to serve every day as we can. But we need to do it with a view of eternity, not just a view in that little bubble. We don't need to get tunnel vision that says, hey, just... I'm just looking at what's right here in front of me on the microscope. I need to look out, broadcast out and say, you know what, I see where I need to do something right here in the, in the forefront. But in front of me and beyond me, there is God doing something of eternal value that God sees fit to have me living for such a day that I may live for such a time as this to have an impact on this moment. Think about how many times I get caught up in the temporary. And how distracting that can be. Sometimes the, uh, the sad factor of the American Christian is the broad scope that we actually look at is basically from week to week, paycheck to paycheck. Just trying to make it through another week. Just trying to make it to another Friday. Just trying to get through. And the next thing we know, we look back and we say, where did it all go? And we still wonder, where is it all going? The Bible tells us not to focus merely on the day-to-day or the week-to-week. Yes, be faithful 
in those days. Be faithful in those moments. Do not miss that. But do not let your mind be so fixed on the temporary that you miss out on the eternal. Don't let your mind be so fixed on our momentary light affliction. I laugh at that. Not because I think, oh, I've gone through a bunch of terrible things. But when I'm reading Paul write this, his momentary light afflictions, once again, if you read chapter 11, you go back and be like, this brother did not have momentary and light afflictions. But that's what he considered them. How huge is that? He says, I'm not going to focus on that. Because even if it happens, what it's doing is producing in our life an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. I don't even know what that looks like. Just think about that. I know what weights are. I know how what is my capacity and what is my laughingly lack of capacity when I'm at the gym. Like, well, that's too much weight. That's not going to no. Let's do the little one, you know. I know that. But what the Bible says is that what God is doing in our life, even in those momentary afflictions, when we do not give up, when we're focused on the treasure that is made available to us from Christ, when we see the reason and we see the rejection and the need for revelation and we see the reward that's offered to us that we carry around with us and we see the resilience that helps us go through, when we see the repurposing of our life, what we see is that when we face these days, God is producing in our lives an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. An infinite it does not have a value that we can put on it because it just keeps going. That's the weight of glory that God is building through our lives. Talk about the gravity of that. It's huge. And so Paul says when it's based on this, that we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. Doesn't mean we're not aware of what's seen. Doesn't mean we're unfaithful in what's seen. But we focus on what is unseen. That one day there's coming a day when all of this will be brought to a completion. And what will be the value of what is left behind? He says we do not focus on what is seen that is temporary, but what is unseen that is eternal. And so I leave you with these thoughts. Today, what do you treasure? What holds the greatest value in your life? What has got that incomparable weight of glory for you? Is it the Lord Jesus? That is my prayer that it is for us as a church. That it is the Lord Jesus that we say, God, I see the immense mercy that you have given me. And I know that some of us may think, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. But all of us are sinners that fall short of the glory of God. And it's not like we just missed the free throw. It's like we were on a completely different court. Doing our own thing. But do you see what God has done in His mercy? And let me tell you, please look unto that because if you're trying to build your worth in God's eyes on anything else, you're always going to end up lacking. It will never be there. It just won't. Reach out and and take hold of what He extends His mercy to you and says, you will never get there, but I'm willing to step down for you and come give this to you. Let the weight of let the weight of that rejection that people have stir you. Let it disturb you for a little bit. God, is there anything in my life? Is there anything that I'm doing that would I, that would be listed among secret and shameful things, deceitful things that 
I may think is being kept away from watchful eyes, but really it is causing damage to the witness of your name. Not only to people on the streets that I may consider strangers, but those who may be in my very own home. And I may be wondering, why is it they're never coming to Christ? Because they see me. And they see the incompatibility. May it never be said that, that, that that's a part of the issue is anything on our behalf that is causing people to reject the gospel. And may we pray for strongholds to be taken away. That people will not be veiled by the God of this age, but that God would shine light in the darkness and He would do it through the revelation of who He is. That in our life we would say, we are not proclaiming ourselves. We're not trying to make much of the name of Eastgate Baptist. Although I want this place to be filled. I want to see classes overflowing. I want to see children knowing the Bible. I want to see people worshiping the name of Jesus. I want to see people serving on mission. I want people impacted in this town because of Eastgate. But it must not be the name of Eastgate that produces the weight. It must be because we're proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord And may they, through that revelation, come to know the reward that as frail as we are, we get to carry this treasure and be image bearers of it. And that it's something that never gives up. When they see our lives and they wonder, how in the world are you praising heaven when it looks like all hell is broken loose on your life? It's because we know the one who gives us treasure. And we see the beautiful repurposing of our life that helps us to see things from an eternal perspective. May that be said of those who treasure Christ. And I pray it's said of me. Sometimes I wonder. Many times I do. And so at this moment of response, I'm right there with you. Are we those that treasure the greatest treasure? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today as we come to this moment of response, when we see the gravity of of who you are and and what you've done and and why that makes such a difference. I pray your grace upon this moment. That as hearts have to sit there and and really contemplate and consider who you are and, and what's been said about you and what's been proclaimed about you and the Holy Spirit, you work upon their lives to just lay open and lay bare everything that's there. God, do what only You can do. I cannot save anyone, but You can change everything. And I pray that when we think about how incredibly implausible that is, I pray that You would show that You are the one that makes it possible today. That makes it possible. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.